Okay. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love this time of year. This time of year where we stop and think of that wondrous thing you have done in giving your Son for us. And that big, big, big step from glory down here to this earth. The condensation that came with that to become a baby. To be born in a manger. To dwell among men. That's an amazing thing. There are not enough songs in this world to sing praise to you for that. There are not enough messages that can be preached to cover all of this adequately. It's an amazing thing that you have done. And we thank you, Lord, for it. We are entering into the Christmas season in our decorations, in our songs, and even in our messages. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be drawn to you in a very special way as we truly contemplate what you have done for us. We want to be quick to say thank you and give you the praise. And we want that to be just an attitude of the heart throughout this season. So we thank you, Lord, for it. And we praise you for your word that tells us exactly what you have done. Thank you for it. Help us today as we study from it. In Jesus' name, amen. I was going over my notes from previous years to see what topics haven't I touched on at Christmas time. I, I deal with angels. I deal with shepherds. I've dealt with kings. And, and you guys have sat through many, many of those. So it's seven of them now. Seven different series. And sometimes on Sunday nights I throw in another series on the side to go with it. But we've covered a lot of things. I realized I've never preached on the, sh- and on the animals. Which I'm still not going to preach on the animals. But I just thought, well, that's one group I didn't cover in all these uh, things. And so I said, well, where do I go? What should I do this time? And I thought, well, Romans 8 sounds like a Christmas passage, doesn't it? Actually, it does, to tell the truth. But I'm not, I'm not going to Romans 8. But this was our next verse, the one that's coming up. And tell me your, if you think this might fit. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That would fit, wouldn't it? That would fit. That's, that's what I thought. Romans 8 sounds Christmassy to me. But we are going to Luke chapter 2. Probably the most familiar passage in all of Scripture concerning the Christmas story, and particularly the episode with the shepherds. That's where I'd like to spend time this, uh, this uh, December with you. Luke chapter 2. The two verses I'm going to highlight especially, uh, verse number 10 and verse number 11. Those are two verses that we will spend the next five weeks uh, enjoying. But I'm going to start the paragraph where it does start in verse number 8 and read all the way through verse number 20. Luke 2, 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood up before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David has been, 
there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from there into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as has been told them. When we talk about gifts, and we talk especially about the gift of Christmas, the gift of Christmas is Jesus Christ. Just to be straight to the point. The gift that God has given to us is Jesus Christ. It says it so simplistically and in such a way that all of us no doubt know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's so simplistic, but that's the good news that we speak about. Commonly called the gospel. We use that phrase, the gospel. And that's what the gospel is all about. Honestly, you take Jesus Christ out of the holiday and there's nothing to celebrate. There's nothing left. There's a lot of cliches, I know. We fling them around, especially this time of year. I don't want to fill your time this December with these messages just saying something cute or something clever. Uh, that's easy enough to do, I think. But I want to get down to the essence of the good news. The difference that has made in our lives, and we can all testify, can't we? What we have received and what we believed in the message of our Savior. The, the wonderful thing about the gospel is this, that it is the easiest thing to understand, so much so that even a young child can grasp it. And yet it is the most intricate and the most profound and the deepest aspect of all of theology. That no one could really understand it with their mind if they wanted to grasp the whole. It's that big. Is that incredible? So we're going to spend five weeks just here in Luke 2, 10 and 11, breaking down some of the thoughts that we have that we've become very familiar to. And I'll give you this simple, simple little outline of these two verses. First of all, in verse number 10, we have the message declared. The angel of the Lord uh, speaks and he says to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, here's the message. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. That's the message declared. There is good news. It brings great joy. It's for all the people. And then the message is defined in verse number 11. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, 
That's the good news. Who is Christ the Lord? That's the meaning of the message. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, has been born. So those are the two things we're going to kind of work with as we go through this passage. Uh, I find it interesting, and you see this too, but in verse number 10, the very first words of the message, really, as the angel opens its mouth and begins to speak, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I want to investigate that a little while with you here this morning and show you the value of fear. That sounds interesting. The value of fear as it relates to the gospel message. Now, fear is a reaction. If you want to break it down and understand it, it's rather an interesting thing. It's one of those things that people say, oh, you've got to try to figure out how to get over it. You've got to take this or take that. Maybe that will help you get over it. You know, fear, if you, if you go through certain kind of counseling, perhaps you can get your way to cope with fear. But it's interesting that God has designed fear. It is an emotion. And sometimes we say, well, some emotions, they're just not good ones. But God created all emotions. And this one he created too. It's an interesting thing because it works from the senses to begin with. Hearing, seeing, touching, smelling, or even tasting. The senses perceive a danger. Maybe they see a danger. Maybe they hear a danger. Maybe they smell a danger. But as that organ of perception locates a danger, a threat of some kind, it quickly sends a message to the brain to say, something is out of place here. Something's unusual. It doesn't look good. So it lets the brain interpret it. Interpret it. It calculates what's going on here. It's based on experiences and it's based on this and that. And it works its way in calculation of the nature of what that is. The, the force of what that is. The vicinity. How close is that to me right now? Uh, what's the timing that it's coming toward me? What's the risk if it comes upon me? It's calculating at an incredible rate of speed the nature of that threat. And it comes to a conclusion. And with that conclusion, it says a response is needed right now. And it triggers the body to do something in order to protect its life. At this point, the brain puts into action an incredible system, a mechanism that God has designed. I've seen some of these big words. These are kind of cool. I like these words. Some of them are not so difficult to understand. But acute stress response. I said, ooh, that sounds pretty neat. Uh, In physiology class, we were taught fight or flight as a response to something like this. Uh, Primarily, you've got a sympathetic nervous system inside of you. Millions of these cells that work with a hormonal type of a thing that, that causes the organs, like the heart, to start beating quicker. That increases your heart rate, of course, and adrenaline starts to pump in different places. Muscles go into action either to run or to freeze. Respiratory rates increase. Uh, more oxygen is needed. The organs have harder work to do, and they're, they're, they're demanding more oxygen. 
perspiration kicks in and regulates body temperature and the sudden reaction in the whole process. It's amazing that the body can kick into high gear in just a moment's notice. The Lord has designed itself. It's really quite an incredible thing to stop and try to think this through. Many, many years, when we lived up in Indiana, we would go to the 4th of July parade, which is funny to speak of in December, but we'd go to the 4th of July parade in Laporte, Indiana. And they were, they were always called the honorary capital of the state on the 4th of July. And because of that, there was a nearby Air Force base called Grissom Air Force Base, at least nearby if you're on a plane. <laughs> For us to drive, it was an hour or so away. But, but they would send over military planes to do a flyover the parade route. And some of these pilots really had fun with us. Because we would be out there, thousands and thousands of people lining the, the main streets of Laporte, Indiana, and as we're there, we're waiting for the flyover. We never know what exactly is coming our way. Sometimes bombers and sometimes other things they'd send. But when they'd send those jets, we'd look up and we'd see this dot. And it's getting closer. And it's getting closer. And it's getting closer. And you say, wow, they're kind of low to the ground. And then they go, Psh! You say, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then you guys know what happens next. That sound it's interesting to watch 40,000 people duck at the same time. As if that's going to help all of a sudden. It's gone. But that sound hits you and your, your body says, duck! Because it's a response. Instantly, the body says, do something. It was, a, it was kind of impressive, but we always got a kick out of it. Then we all start laughing and stuff because that was kind of fun. Just that trigger. That we were just hoping nobody triggered their pacemaker or something out of black. It, it, was, it was that response, though. That, that was an interesting thing. And if you weren't prepared for it, if you had missed the flyover, you hadn't braced yourself. And then that sound hits you off when you're off guard. That's even more incredible. Been there a few times, too. But it's not uncommon, is it? Loud noises do that to us. Unexpected noises do it to us. We hear incredible sounds. We don't know what to do. We, boom, there's a sound, and we feel like something needs done. That survival response was programmed in us by our Lord. When he made these bodies, he did that, and he did that for our benefit. It was for our benefit. To protect the bodies that he's given to us. Here our story with the shepherds. Let's go to the immediate context of the shepherd story here in Luke chapter 2. It says in the same region, verse number 8, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. You've seen the scene before many times in your, in your mind or in displays, whether it's flannel graph or some movie or such like that. You've seen the picture. We've always tried to... Uh, match it somehow in plays and such like that. It's dark. The shepherds are out there. They're, they're doing what shepherds do. You could paint the scene very, very easily. They're keeping watch over their flock by night. And then the angel of the Lord suddenly stood among them. King James starts with, Lo! <laughs> That's to get your attention. What? Lo! Behold! Some great event is about to happen. 
Something you will never forget is about to happen. An angel was standing beside them. That's the essence of the Greek word here. As it, a matter of fact, it's, it's a rather intensive little verb. It's like you're standing there and, whoop, there he is. Suddenly, there's an angel there. Now, you know very well they weren't expecting that. But suddenly, you know, that, that kind of thing happens several times in Scripture. I think it's kind of interesting to, to uh, note that. But almost every single time it had the same results. There's sudden fear. Because, well, you're not expecting that. That's one thing. Most people, you know, their description of angels are, are rather, rather benign, rather, you know, simplistic little creatures. We, we've gone so far in Valentine's Day to make them little baby cherubs and things like that, as if there's nothing to fear. Uh, I don't think any of us would uh, think so simplistically of an angel if it just popped up here right now. The scripture identifies them as rather awesome beings. And there's much we can learn about the angel. That alone would startle us. But it also says, not only the angel suddenly appeared, but the angel was wrapped with the glory of the Lord. It was shining, as it says in verse 9, all around them. Some commentators believe that was actually the Shekinah glory, if you study that in the Old Testament. Uh, a very impressive cloud of brightness that symbolized the divine presence. Uh, we've never seen that. I don't think we have. You haven't. I, I've never seen uh, the Shekinah glory. Israel did on several occasions in the Old Testament. The Shekinah, Shekinah glory once uh, filled the temple when they had dedicated it in Solomon's day. And they couldn't go in it for quite a long time. It was just too impressive uh, to even go near the temple when the Shekinah glory had appeared like that. Now, I would contend real simple that the sight of an angel is enough to strike a response of fear. Add the extra nature of the presence of the Lord the glory of the presence of the Lord, into a background of dark night, a field that's typically providing only the sound of bleeding sheep or crickets or some other night sounds, and a handful of shepherds going about their business. And this is the sudden change of everything. It says in verse 10, well, it says at the end of verse number 9, the shepherds were terribly frightened. Intensified fear. The words are these in the Greek. They feared a great fear. Multiplying the concept. They were, they were sore afraid. I've heard kids say they were sure afraid. Yes, they were. It was a striking thing. And, if I go back to where I started, their fight-or-flight system kicked in. Had to have. Because that's the way God designed people. Their eyes behold something that was highly unusual. And, for somebody in that day to have an angel appear to you was not good news, by the way. We'll talk about that in just a minute. 
But suddenly the shepherds perceived a danger, perhaps, or a threat. Something highly unusual in the dark sky was going on with this bright light and an angel suddenly appearing. Their brain started to calculate its nature, its force, its vicinity, its timing, its risk. What is the, what is the response necessary in light of all these things? What should we do to protect body, to protect life? What are we going to send into motion here? Get that heart going. Move that heart. Get that breathing up. Start breathing heavy. Perspiration. Let it go. We've got things to do. We've got to respond. This is a sudden thing. All of a sudden, it's in high gear. What are the dangers that it might have perceived? It's only an angel. Men were not accustomed to seeing angels. Especially in this day and age of the shepherds. Most of the responses, by the way, to an angel in the Bible was dreadful fear. Most of them were. Some became speechless. Couldn't say a word. Matter of fact, one couldn't say a word for a long time because of that. Some became limp. Fell over like dead men. Remember the guards at the tomb? Some, I, I mean, there's just all kinds of responses, but most of it is fear in the sight of an angel. But the reason why the angel would be there might be alarming too. Now, it's not uncommon that angels are given the responsibility by God to punish wicked men. I could take you all over the scriptures to show you that one. What was sent in the days of, of um, the Israelites in the Exodus, to Egypt to kill the firstborn. An angel was sent in order to kill the firstborn. The Assyrian army, in the days of Isaiah and Hezekiah the king, the Assyrian army found out one angel was sufficient to annihilate the entire army in one night. The, the verse, I always get a kick out of that, it says, in the morning the Assyrians woke up and found themselves dead. And I said, what a terrible way to wake up. But it just kind of strikes me funny every time I read that. But the, the, the words are, the rest of them said, 185,000 men went to sleep last night and they didn't wake up this morning. The angel visited. Angels usually have jobs like that. There was one stationed in the middle of the road once to split Balaam in two pieces. And if it wasn't for that talking donkey, I guess that would have been the story. The book of Revelation is full of accounts where God's wrath is brought down to this earth because an angel poured out a bowl, blew a trumpet, opened a seal. Those kind of things we have the angels responsible for carrying out God's wrath on the earth. See, angels were not always known to be happy visitors. So they always wanted to know, what are you here for? <laughs> that was one of the first questions on their heart. What are you here for? And usually they dreaded the answer. Actually, it had been about 400 years since anyone had heard from God. As far as the Old Testament is concerned, going into the life of Christ, there was silence since the days of Malachi. And that silence was based on the fact that they did rebel against His commandments, they continued to spiral deeper and deeper into sinfulness and their, their callousness to the things of God. 
an introduction to, of an angel in our story right here could have meant that God's patience were, was over. It was done. And wrath has come. Simply put, whether it was a, solely the appearance of an angel, actual fact that there's an angel there, or if they calculated a danger because an angel was there and it represented God's wrath, the shepherd's response I'd say, was very normal. They were scared to death. They feared a great fear. They had reason to be afraid. Then the angel spoke. His first words, you have reason not to be afraid. Says, do not keep on being afraid. <laughs> I love that, that, that present tense command there in the Greek. Uh, don't keep on. He acknowledged they were. Don't keep on being afraid. We're going to change this. For we have good news. His declaration is made. And then he defines it in verse number 11. The Savior is born. Again, the gift of Christmas. We've seen a bit already of this gift. We've talked about it as Jesus Christ. That's pure and simple, straightforward. The gift that God gave to us is Jesus Christ. But I'm going to add a second element, if you will, or a sub-note of that, because that's what we're going to see, these pieces that go into that big thing. The gift that the Lord brought to our attention, first of all, is the gift to proceed, perceive the need. The need for a gospel. The need for good news. The whole fear response is based on the idea that there's an immediately a need to be protected. A need to be saved or, or protected in a physical or physiological way. But I want to show you something in the gospel message itself. And I want to talk about this just for a few minutes here this morning. If there's anything you might have noticed, and I certainly have noticed it in society today, there seems to be a lack of fear of the things of God. A lack of fear of the things of God. Oh, I know for several Several years, there's even been down to the point of don't wish people a Merry Christmas. Every effort being to take the, the statement of the gospel out of what we celebrate. We've always had that little danger out there anyway. Our songs and all the rest that we do, we, we get very cute and, and turn our holidays into things that we don't relate at all to the gospel message and sometimes you say well there's Santa Clauses and candy canes and things and then people go all all the way out of their way to try to wrap that back up into a gospel story and so you have all these interesting different you know techniques to try to make it stay what it should be and yet still not be exactly what it is you know what I'm trying to say if you say I have no idea what you mean that's exactly our problem today people don't get it when it comes to the Christmas message, it's simple. God loves the world. He gave His only begotten Son. 
And whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Now, perishing ought to bring a response. Our bodies are designed to protect from perishing. Right? That's the whole thing I tried to describe. Is that we have the danger present and we want to respond to it to protect life and limb. That works spiritually. Because there is a danger out there. A very serious danger. And it requires a spiritual response. And though this is a physical thing that we read of here in Luke chapter 2, and I put it in its context, it was a physical thing. They were afraid. But as I think that through in light of the good news, I think it's a great way to start it. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because the fear of death ought to cause a response in people. The reality of death is shown to us often in Scripture. It started with Adam and Eve. You know that. But God told them, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. They didn't respond to that threat, did they? They didn't run from that tree, did they? In Ezekiel, he writes, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. In the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. It says, for we have all fallen short of the glory of God. See, sin has a horrible price tag to it. A horrible price tag. And God's not silent about it. There are modern day preachers today, I'll put that in brackets, preachers, who deny the truth of our gospel. They remove necessary elements from it, like sin. They remove death. They remove hell from the consequence. They go out of their way to make it something that you can just be comfortable with, and you can take it if you want it. After all, God's on your side, and they misrepresent him. In the gospel message. They make it sound so so uh, soft and so easy. And they don't want to scare anybody. So they eliminate essential words that were meant to bring response. Because those are the realities of where we are. Apart from Jesus Christ. If we have nothing to be saved from, then we don't need a Savior. Why should we be saved if there is no sin to worry about? If there's no death to worry about? If there's no hell to worry about? Why should we be saved at all? That's a message that goes out, folks. That's what they're telling our world. And they're denying the truth of the gospel. Jude warned us about these people. In the book of Jude, you can go over there. It's right before Revelation. If you find Revelation... Back up to verse chapter 1, and then you'll see Jude right in front of it. The book of Jude, look at these words. They're powerful. You can almost sense the ink is still wet on the page. Jude says in verse number 4, there's only one chapter, so it's, it's easy to pass it up. If you're in 1 John or 2 John or 3 John, you've gone too far. Right? It's right between 3 John and Revelation. In verse 4, he says, certain people have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation 
ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. That's a very big word to say. They, they've turned it into some pleasurable thing on their part. And they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. He describes them for a couple of verses, but he comes back to it again in verse 8. Their description is, well, Israel, they had their disobedient people and they were punished and and uh, the angels who got into trouble they were punished and Sodom and Gomorrah and their gross immorality they were punished and so he comes back to verse 8 and he says yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh reject authority and look at this revile angelic majesties that's an interesting phrase in the midst of this they mock the idea of an angel. They laugh at the concept. No fear in them. No. They may, uh, angels probably don't even exist. They revile the concept. They revile the idea of an angel. If one ever stood before them, they'd be flat on their face. But boy, are they bold right now. They revile angelic majesties as well. And Michael, he's not like that, verse 9 says. Even Michael respects uh, the devil in an argument. We're, some other time we'll look at that. But verse number 10. And what about these same men? These men revile the things which they do not understand. You know, that's the easiest way to get rid of something you don't know. Make fun of it. Laugh at it. Deny it. Shove it off, unimportant. Cover it up with something else. That's the gospel message going out today in a lot of places. They have no idea what they're talking about. And they revile the very things they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Verse 12 says, These are the men who are hidden reeds in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear. Notice, without fear. They're caring only for themselves. They're clouds without water. You know, that's not good in our culture. In our, even our agricultural world, if it's going to cloud up, let it rain. Right? We like the rain. They're clouds without water. That means they hold promise, but they give nothing. They are autumn trees, or they're carried along by wind, so there's no stability. They're autumn trees without fruit. That's disappointing. They're doubly dead, by the way. Not only is the top dead, the bottom's dead. And they're uprooted on top of that. Very useless. They're wild waves of the sea. They're casting up their own shame like foam. They're wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that the men like Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. What was the key word in that phrase? All over the place. Ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. These are grumblers. These are fault finders. These are following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly. They flatter people for the sake of gaining an advantage. They are here in our world today. They are here. And they have a mass of people following them. 
They want you to believe that there is no danger in the wrath of God. There is no need to respond to any sort of danger. There is no need to fear the Lord. That's their message if you want to put it down for what it really is. They have no fear. Now, you have that picture. And then you go back to men like the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, let me define my ministry for you. And he says it in such an easy way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says it this way in verse number 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Here's a man saved by the grace of God. Walking in fellowship with him. Led by the Holy Spirit. Ministering daily. Facing incredible, really incredible things day by day. From beatings and, and persecutions of all sorts. You say, well, he's a pretty godly man. He should be able to rest right in there with all the good things that the Lord has given to him. And he says, oh, but what drives me is that I know the fear of the Lord. And I persuade men because of it. He's not afraid to call it what it is. He goes on in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 through 21. He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things did pass away. The new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that ministry is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we're just ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us to you, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did he back away from the issue of sin? No. He says, I know the fear of the Lord. You see, you have to perceive the need in order to know that you need it. You need the gospel. You have to be able to perceive the need in order to make a response. You know, a man not convinced that he's drowning isn't going to ask for help. We do a disservice to the world around us when we water down our gospel. More than a disservice. That's a weak word. I would say in light of the gospel, we sin against it every time we take out these elements. There is a price tag there, folks. It's a terrible, terrible price tag. It's the issue of sin. It's the issue of death. It's the issue of hell. And God so wired our bodies to physically respond to danger. Don't you think he might have also wired these hearts to cry out in the day of salvation? Because we need help. We need help. We have a holy God, folks. He's holy. Let's just say it as it is. He's a holy God. The world still can't put their fingers around that. And well, we still have challenges there, too. He's a holy God. And as a holy God, He's a God who hates sin. He punishes it. 
This same God created a place. Yes, he did. He created a place for the unbeliever to spend their eternity. He created a place where there will be forever conscience, conscious of the fact they're under the wrath of God. That is astronomical to comprehend. But it's true. God's word said so. And I believe it. That alone ought to strike fear in the heart of any man. Of any man. But here's the beauty of it. And that's why I like the gospel message so very much the way it's presented. God knows our need. He even knows our response. He knows our fear. He answers the fear with a Savior. He answered the fear by giving His Son. He made it possible for us to respond by faith. He made it possible for us to believe a message, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made it possible for us to to understand what He did for us on that cross on Calvary. He made it possible that when we believe, we are saved and we have everlasting life. He made that possible. He did that. See, in all this, I present, not only do we have the gift of Christmas in Jesus Christ, but one of the gifts along with that is the ability to perceive our need. God gave us that. What a gracious God we have. What a gracious, gracious God we have. So I'm going to ask you, and I've done this many, many times before, but make it real simple. Have you received Jesus Christ as Savior? Have you? Everybody in this room could answer that right now. In their own heart, they should know. Have you received the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace offered to you by God through Jesus Christ? Have you received salvation through faith in Him and Him alone? Have you received that today? Literally. I'm not talking about some, well, maybe, you know, sort of, kind of. But did you receive Him as Lord and Savior? Has He taken you and cleansed you and claimed you for His own? Do you know that? Do you know that's true of you? Today, really, I just bring it down to, now it's your response. Your response to the gospel message. If you've never responded before, today's the day. Today's the day you could respond to your need of a Savior. God has a Savior. The only difference between having a Savior and knowing the Savior is one little, one little pronoun. I could declare He is a Savior, but only you could say He's my Savior. Is that the little pronoun you put in front of his name this morning? My Savior. My Savior. Heavenly Father, you know every heart in this room. You know our need. And you have made us to understand that need. To respond to that need. I am so sorry our world is contradicting your truth over and over and over again. There are people who stand up and lead a flock of other people who deny the truth that there is sin and there's a price tag. They deny there's a punishment. And then in that they deny the reality of the gift itself. 
that deny the grace of God in its fullest measure and the mercy and the forgiveness that comes with this gift. They deny it all, but we will not today. We will not be like that. For we acknowledge what Scripture says and what it says so clearly. We are sinners and we deserve death. And you are our Savior and you have given to us life. And you have given to us the joy of responding to that message. Thank you so much for what you have done to save us. Thank you. For giving us the perception of our need to understand it and respond because of your, of your wooing and your loving call and your care to bring us to yourself. Thank you for doing that. For without you, we would be nowhere. Nowhere. We would have no hope. You are so good and gracious to us. Thank you. Lord, there might be some, and if there are some today, that have heard the gospel and understood it today, the Spirit has worked in their heart, brought them to the place where they are going to respond. Do that, Lord. Only you can save. Only you can change a heart. Only you can give life. We ask that you might change a life among us, even right now, a life changed for eternity. Bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. I do hope, Lord, and I do pray that your gospel has changed somebody today. Certainly we are changed because of it, and we give you the praise for that. What a beautiful Savior we have. What a beautiful gospel message. Thank you for giving it to us. We rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.